We are dropping straight in, no theme. Hi, I'm Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer folks slide unannounced into your diner booth and ask that most critical of breakfast questions. Are you going to finish that? That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. We're talking about breakfast because I'm recording this intro in the morning, which I've never done before. I am very much an early bird, but I tend to record these in the late afternoon or the evening as befits my schedule, but uh, to befit my schedule now, which is a little cuckoo these days, I'm recording this hot on the heels off a bowl of cold cereal. There were some chopped dates because I'm a gay person. Uh, Anyway, let's jump straight into this episode because it's a live episode. That's why we didn't play the theme. That's why I'm not going to tell you much about the guest because it's all baked into my live show from Toronto Comic-Con. 2022 Toronto Comic-Con. This was recorded in March, uh, mid-March. It was a very fun time. It was a very vibeless room. And I don't mean the company, but I mean, you know, when you're in those convention centers and uh, it's just like that sort of foamy divider wall, everything's loosely beige. It's like uh, a Howard Johnson was turned into a casino and then abandoned. That's sort of the vibe of this situation. Uh, And then full of people in Sailor Moon and Boba Fett cosplay, which, you know, is two fifths of the ingredients of Utopia quite frankly, a better world for everyone, non-negotiable. So that's where we were. And then in walks my guest who brought, quite frankly, all the vibe you could ever want. Uh, Take that, Howard Johnson. Take that, Casino. My guest brought it all. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was so fun to get out of my cave and do something with people in the world, especially with this guest. I don't know why I'm refusing to say the name. You you probably saw in your podcast app the name of the guest, but let's keep the suspense white hot, uh, just like Boba Fett would like. Please enjoy my conversation amongst the Baby Yodas, recorded live at 2022 Toronto Comic-Con. Do some Windows Media Player magic, full screen. There you go. That's full enough. <laughs> Hi, my name is Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer folks dash inside a phone booth to slip into some skin-tight spandex, not for crime-fighting, but just for fashion. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what 
made them queer. This is normally what I do from underneath a fleece blanket, clutching a microphone for my dear life in my basement apartment. But today, we are live at Toronto Comic-Con! Yes, that's right, thank you. Uh, I am here with the Sonar Network, a fantastic podcast network uh, with fantastic shirts. Uh, one of several live shows you can see this weekend. And my podcast, You Made Me Queers, in its second season, I've had some fantastic guests like RuPaul's Drag Race winner, Jinx Monsoon, uh, Kids in the Hall, Scott Thompson, and welcome, yes, clap for Scott. Everybody does. And welcome to the dollhouses, Heather Matarazzo, but all of those people are hacks because they're not here. Today, my guest is someone very special. Let's pull this bio out. My guest today is an American comic book artist. You, yeah, this, he's nodding along. Uh, and writer who revolutionized Archie Comics by introducing its first biracial coupling and relevant to today's show and my hoodie, uh, the first openly gay character, Kevin Keller. He also blessed the world, along with Fernando Ruiz, with a comic called Die Kitty Die, which you might know, enormously popular. But more appealing to me is Archie vs. Sharknado. Oh, yeah. God's work. God's work. I'm glad someone's doing it. Uh, he has also written and illustrated for DC Comics, Marvel Comics, Felix the Cat Productions. Love Felix the Cat. Mattel, IDW, Boom, Valiant Comics, Chapter House Comics, and HarperCollins, just to name a few. What a show off. <laughs> Toronto Comic Con, please put your hands together for the one, the only, Dan Parent. Dan, thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. How was your flight into Toronto? I drove. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, I drove over the border. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. How was that? Um, it was really easy. Uh, you never know what you're going to get at the border, especially when you have a car full of comic books. <laughs> so, so uh, but uh, I had my COVID tests. Uh, they were happy that I had them. I did all my paperwork beforehand, and I just like came right over. So it was, it was easy. That's so great. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's the only time during this hour we're going to have to talk about COVID-related things. <laughs> we're in a post-COVID world. Well, hopefully. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, but you were also recently in Alaska, right? Yes. Yes, I was. Great. How was that? Fantastic. I love Alaska. Fantastic. And that's a good, I think, a good precursor to Toronto. Because Toronto in March is not when you want to be in Toronto. Right, right. Now, Alaska was, it was like 20, well, uh, we still have the, I still have to go by Fahrenheit. So oh, yeah, no, we're bilingual here. You okay, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, so it was like 22 below when I or got to, to, to Alaska. So, um, I mean, it was fine. I'm from Vermont, so it was cold there, too. Oh, yeah, it's not anything tropical. Okay, so this must feel like downright balmy for you. This is nice. Great. It's almost shorts wearing weather. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, and I actually do the same thing. As soon as it gets slightly warm, I'm just like, we made it through winter, and it's like tees and shorts, and then immediately getting sick uh, because that's not appropriate. We're going to get snow until maybe May. Mm -hmm. Does that happen in Vermont? Uh, and they're so wild. In, in Vermont, I live in Pennsylvania now, um, but it's just cold. Okay. Uh, but, but Vermont, uh, yeah, Vermont is probably on par with Toronto's weather. We'll get snow until May. Could be worse. That it always could be, it always could be. And maybe that's the best segue to start. Um, so, you know, when we're young, impressionable, gorgeous youths, uh, we think that the world is our oyster, that we're gonna grow up into God-fearing, Christian, heterosexual homes. Um, and then we find out that sometimes it can be worse. 
and maybe something was in the airwaves, maybe something weird we ate, settled the wrong way in our system, and lo and behold, next thing we know, we're queer. <laughs> it's too late. Uh, but now that we're adults, we're here at this gorgeous buffet table on this fantastic stage, which is at least three feet tall, and we have microphones. So now we have a chance, Dan, finally, to point the finger of blame. And so I want to invite you, Dan Parent, point that finger at who and or what made you queer. Well, I've had to go back and uh, kind of read a little past research, and I think the first thing I can blame it on is, um, I'm gonna say John Waters movies are the thing that did it. Absolutely John Waters movies. I think he'd be happy to hear that. He probably would. <laughs> I've actually met John Waters before. Have you? But yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I've never, you know, gone, I've never, you know, Told him that, you know, blaming, blaming him for my life. But uh, he's a big fan of the show, so <laughs> yeah. you can imagine you're speaking directly well, to John Waters. Yeah, I think it was a John Waters thing. It was like um, I saw the movies, and I first like my parents had a video store. Just to oh, go back. like they ran a rental. They ran a rental video store. So cool. So I got to watch all kinds of movies, and uh, so. The John Waters movies, well, Pink Flamingos came in to the store. Yeah, but that's the kind of movie that's in the back, like behind in, the red velvet curtain. That's, yes, exactly. I, I remember, um, I had heard about his movies, um, again, I'm like in high school at the time, and um, I told my mother to, to like look into them, and she thought, oh, these look kind of campy and fun, and you know, the later ones are, are sort of safe. Yeah, like Hairspray. Yeah, Hair, Hairspray is like, is like Disney, a Disney movie compared to the first movie. Yeah. But, no um, one eats poop, not even once in Hairspray. Not even. But it, but it, so she got my mother. They got pink flamingos, and um, I remember watching it. And you know, I I was I knew what was going to happen for the most part. But uh, I remember what my mom did. She had watched it. And, yeah, she basically put like a warning on the movie, like put like a sticker on it. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know. I think she basically said, do not rent this. Basically, it was in her own store. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is for display only. Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay. Just like she used to shame people. They had like a porn section in the back, and she'd always be shame people for any reason. Like, you're, you're renting these, these are these people, they're supplying your store with, with business, and you're shaming them. Yeah, I get it. Well, yeah, what was that about? I Were you like the Godfrey and Christians? Like, no, 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 we weren't. We, well, I grew up um, Catholic. I mean, so there you go. Um, something. And uh, like my my father was really strict. I went to catechism, the whole thing. But um, my parents are always very pretty liberal too. Vermont's pretty liberal state. I mean, they were renting porn. Yeah, I mean, they weren't they weren't conservative enough to where they didn't want the porn dollars. But then my mother would kind of backtrack because when she would actually like watch porn or something, she would get very like she she was very like disgusted. She'd giggle nervously the whole time. Uh, no, no, she, she, my father was fond with porn, you know, okay. but like um, my mother was just yeah, she just doesn't like it. Even though she's a very liberal person, but just doesn't it's not her bag. So so anyway, so with Pink Flamingo she um put a thing on the a sticker of don't, don't watch this and when I would I'd watch it. It was like that poison control yuck face. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so of course, like my friends enjoyed it. You know, a lot of college kids would come in and rent it. And, yeah. and I just saw, and I just thought, you know, there's something about this movie that is just uh, piques my curiosity. It's just, it's these. For, I know these people are disgusting in this movie, but they're people I want to be friends with. Yeah, interesting. So, what, like, were you in a sort of suburban, idyllic neighborhood? Was there anything in your life that mirrored what you saw in Pink Flamingos? No. Okay. Thank God. So, <laughs> so I don't know if I want that in real life. Yeah, but, it could be a little stressful. But, um, but no, it just was, um, uh, you know, I, I, the characters in the movie were just, you know, offbeat enough to where it was like there was just something attractive about them. And then also when I would go on and when I would watch the, like the, the further John Waters movies, 
again, it was just like these, these like weirdos that um, you know I could relate to. Yeah, did you already feel in your, your hood or wherever you were that a little little odd person out for any other reason? You know, um, I, I I should have, but I, I, never, I never did. But my, my story is so weird because like you know, I grew up and um, you know, I was always basically bisexual. Okay. And um, I always knew it. And um, I've never, it was never an issue. Like, I was dumb enough as a kid to think kind of everybody was that way. <laughs> Until I got a little older and I realized that everybody wasn't. Okay. But um, I came, I was raised in a house where everybody was very comfortable with, um, my mom was very comfortable like tell, teaching us about, you know, like, um, your sexuality is okay. She would always have us, like, I have a sister. Okay. And she would always have us, like, watch the, the Phil Donahue show because today they're having transsexual people on there and you, this is people that exist in the world. So that was like your sex education? It kind of was, it kind of yeah. was. And I remember like... Um, a lot of paternity tests. Yeah, well I think that was before that. That was, Phil Donahue show was, was a, you know, it was the, the, the first, you know, precursor to Oprah. And it was like on in the, pretty popular in the 70s and 80s. And you know, one day they'd have like um, a political figure on there, and the next day they would have like a, um, well, at the time when they called them a transsexual person. Um, that was before the trans, transgender. But um, and then they would have like um, a TV star. It was just a very wide variety of people. My mom always watched it, and thank God we had that openness in our house because mm-hmm. she wanted us to know about all kinds of people. She wanted us to know. So I was raised with that attitude. So because I was raised in a house like that, um, and my parents were basically, I don't want to say they were hippies, but they were pretty, you know, pretty loosey-goosey. It's a very special flavor of Catholic that you guys well, don't Again, my father was raised, was raised a strict Catholic, and we were raised, like, my mother was like a falling Catholic at the time. Okay. So my father was a strict Catholic. She lapsed a little she, bit. She's dormant. She, she's, now, now she's a, a, a well, I don't know what you call it now, like a reformed yeah, she's not, you know, she's not religious at all now. Oh, okay. My, and my dad still goes to church, so it's, you know, he's still, he's still trying to cling on to it. And I think he's, yeah. he, he's does the best he can do with it. He, he believes it. He's a good guy. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, my mom kind of fell off the wayside, and I think, uh, I, yeah, I think uh, my sister and I kind of have had a slow <laughs> descent. Sure. descent. Like, I think the last time we were in church was when my, my grandmother passed away, and that, and that had been like you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that's how I, kind of the house I was raised in. But like, we were always you know, able to like, you know, watch, and do, watch anything we wanted to. And again, the, the, those movies were just some, just, they just um, kind of formed my like, foundation for just how I like, um, saw the world. <laughs> yeah, which is a very interesting lens to start as a child to start imagine the world where, I don't know if people are familiar with John Waters' films, but things go a little bit sideways sometimes. Uh, well, the, well, the first one, The Pink Flamingos, I mean, it's a total debauchery, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the movie, like, Divine, you know, everyone knows who Divine is. He was a very famous... Uh, if you don't figure, get out. You have to research Divine. <laughs> but in the movie, like, the end of the movie, like, they're trying to prove who's, like, which family's, like, the filthiest people in the world. So Divine proves it at the end by eating a piece of dog poop, and it's, yeah. it's not fake. It's like he's really doing it. So, you know, it's just... I guess you know it's, it's sort You're of like oh this is this is how people grow up this is what we do I I could do this in my <laughs> and, then, and then and this is you know then like the movies got a lot more um, they still retained their campiness but they got a little more family friendly as they went on. So you were always drawn to a sort of like larger than life character. I mean, of course, you would go on to work in comics. Mm-hmm. Famous, I mean, Shark Archie and Sharknado, famously sort of a larger than life idea. But uh, were you? Were you 
what was it? I don't know. Like, what about these big characters kind of appealed to you all throughout? Maybe did you have superhero aspirations yourself? Uh, well, as like you know, again, when I I was one of those the, the kids who grew up were young reading, just got obsessed with comics at an early age, okay. and. Um, I remember my mom used to clean had clean houses and she would like buy me like a handful of comics and it was usually it was I started with Archie uh-huh. um, same it was, it was uh, like uh, a lot of like Harvey comics like Richie Rich and Casper yeah so I was really really obsessed with those comics also quick question is Casper Richie Rich's ghost. I, I believe so. Me too. I believe so. <laughs> you, you hear it from the source. Especially, if you, the source. especially if you look at you know the, the the drawings. I mean, you just add ears and blonde hair to Casper and a skin tone, and then you've got Richie Rich. Totally. Yeah. And ghosts. Uh, you don't keep hair when you become a ghost. So my transition's gonna be real easy. <laughs> but ears maybe drop off too. Uh, who needs ears? <laughs> You're omnipotent at that yeah, point. Who needs them? Okay. So anyway, you were reading those comics. So I was reading those comics, and I guess became really um, obsessed with comics at that early age. And um, I think the thing I liked about, well, the Harvey comics was weird, I liked hot stuff and the ghosts and the devil and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Archie was, um, you know, Archie was just the, was cool because it was like the, the ideal, like, you, you know, you want to live in a town like Riverdale when you're in high school. And it's, like the anti-John Waters neighborhood. Like, you know, Riverdale it, it, and John it's Waters weird because, oh, you're right, because um, in some ways they're very different, but in my head that they were always not that different. I don't know why. I mean, I guess both are idyllic. Uh, places to live just in various extremes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You like one or the other. You want no gray areas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, and I just grew up reading, like, then I read, like, got into, like, superhero comics when I was, like, eight, nine, ten years old. But I always um, kind of went back to, like, the Archie stuff, too. That is so wild that you're, because I'm trusting you're not manufacturing that because of your later work. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. no. But so, I mean, yeah, so interesting because those were really formative comics for me. I thought Riverdale seemed like, I grew up in a suburb of mm-hmm. Toronto, so mm-hmm. Riverdale didn't seem that different. Mm-hmm. But having this like nice gang of folks, um, I sort of imagined myself as like a Reggie Archie type character. Mm-hmm. In actuality, I was probably more like, uh, Milton, Ethel, and maybe Mr. Weatherby. <laughs> I was a bit of a plumper child, so um, yeah, it's kind of the trifecta of those. But did did you? What, what which Archie character would you be, Dan? Jughead. Oh, okay. Yeah. You do have a bit of a Jughead look, and I mean this is a compliment. <laughs> like, what about Jughead uh, speaks to you? Uh, Jughead was always like um, you know the nonconformist. Not that I was like this big rebel or anything, um, but he just. I just kind of did my own thing. Yeah, I was very comfortable doing that. And Jughead sort of the same way. And yeah, Jughead's not um, bothered. Yeah, so I think that there was I kind of related to that. And um, and then you know the one thing I liked about Jughead was um, in the comics, um, just sort of just um, never wanted to deal with like you know Archie's incessant dating and running around. Like I mean, he was to the extreme where he was like the girls used to chase him out of town. You know, Jughead didn't want yeah, any, yeah. any relationships. But Jughead just sort of like just kind of like. Looked at all the other teenagers as being kind of like, kind of like nonsense. Yeah, and he was doing his own thing, and I always thought that was, I always thought that was like a kind of a cool. He's a good role model for for kids in general because I think kids should just kind of be more of their own person and not like worry about what other what other kids are doing. Yeah, a hundred percent. But also, Jughead is so. I mean, I haven't read. I don't know how Jughead evolves throughout the entire series, but Jughead is sort of a bit of an asexual presence, or just. Right. Yeah. Right. And I always liked that. I, like Jughead would prefer to be with a hamburger than in a relationship, and and, and, and I can relate to that. A hundred percent. And that's not that insane. 
No, that's better in almost every situation. And sometimes that's what you need. So I think that was always great. And uh, the one thing like they've done in later years um, with Archie is, um, I haven't done it really recently, but um, every few years um, they would have to like give Jughead a girlfriend just to remind people that he wasn't gay. Okay, gotcha. And, and I always thought that was really stupid. Um, I always thought like um, the asexual angle was good. They never even addressed that. They just he didn't like girls. He didn't want to be in a relationship. He just wanted to eat food and yeah. hang out and watch movies and, and read and sleep. You know? Yeah, yeah. So um, he got a girlfriend. She was just kind of haranguing him all the time. And right, right. And then, like, you know, they did it in a... So once in a while, they give him a girlfriend. Uh-huh. Um, and then in the, the later... One of the more recent Jughead um, books where we've done kind of the more realistic styles and stuff based on Riverdale. Yeah. Um, they... Well, Chips and Darcy did a story where they he actually said he was asexual. Oh. Um, and then did that, that was, become canon, or did well, it, it, it did. Then, like, there was some kind of blowback from that. I don't know why there was because I thought it was fine. Um, but in the Riverdale TV show, um, they have given him like you know girlfriends on that show, and even though a lot of like the fans like him and Betty, um, you know, I think I guess on a CW show you just can't be like an asexual character because everybody's hooking up on those shows. Yeah, so there's no drama with that, I guess. I, I guess so. I guess it just doesn't work on a, on a TV show like that. How do you fight with a hamburger? Right, right. Yeah. But he can still be sort of like the guy that everybody goes to for advice and stuff. But, yeah. but, but I guess maybe even that doesn't work because you're not, he's not in any relationships to draw on. So. I don't know. Well, let's go back to you. So okay. you had these uh, comics yeah. and, and you, you were deep into them. So not just Archie, but all those other ones. Right. Uh, we already had the movie store with John Waters and the, the porn shame <laughs> from, from your pseudo-Catholic parents. And then where do we go from there? What's the next influence that grabs you? Um, well, then, then I just sort of kept going into, you know, I kept going with the comic book thing, and then I started to um, really learn and get into drawing. Right. And that was my, sort of like my escape. And so did you start, when you started drawing, were you making your own comics? Were they, is it sort of like Archie fanfic, or were these um, stories from your own brain? They were, I used to draw a lot of, like, yeah, just, I, I would, would draw, I used to draw Archie stuff, even at a young age, and then I would draw, super, I would try to draw a lot of superhero stuff. I just tried to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of like the class artist in school. I would work on the school, you know, the plays, and the school newspaper, and do cartoons and stuff. And then um, when I got to high school, I had an art teacher in high school who was pretty, um, pretty positive about, you know, like kind of pushing me, you know, if I like comics, I should try and get into them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually I had two other friends in high school who were also uh, into comics. And to fast forward a little bit, all three of us ended up getting into comics professionally. And, no and, and we were all three from this small town and we all ended up being successful in comics. What are the odds? So your first early comics too, were they, because I, uh, I like superheroes a bit as a kid, certainly Archie comics, but I definitely had some X-Men figurines that were sort of my exploratory, um, figuring out how they fit together kind of thing, sort of, uh, yeah. Uh, so as someone, you could draw these comics, you could draw these stories, so were they, was it sort of an exploration avenue for you? Were there any, like, Archie and Jughead? Oh, like, like, uh, um, <laughs> you know what was weird is, like, even, like, now, like, like, when we came up with Kevin, I'm sure we'll get to that some yeah. more. Um, I was never, like, I always liked, um, like, when we were not talking about putting a gay character in Riverdale, um, I was, a lot of people have assumed Jughead was gay. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, um, well, maybe we, just have, we should just have Jughead come out. I was like, you know, I just like the angle of him being asexual. 
all these years. I don't want to have to because then you're saying like, well, the reason he hasn't been in relationships is because he's gay. Like you're making it sound like it was like a handicap or something. Yeah, because like, it's not like he was chasing after Moose. Leaving <laughs> for me, right? But yeah, and I was you mean it would feel a bit shoehorned. Right. Yeah. So I just felt it was good to just you know just uh, create a whole new character. Um, who was a gay character. Mm. Um, but as far as growing up goes, I never really, like, it was weird because I always um, would go, but, you know, I, I, I guess if you're talking about characters that you find attractive, like, I guess it would be, like, Reggie, but I always liked Veronica, too, so. Yeah. But I never, I never did, I never did any dirty drawings of them, though. Okay. I, I would do, like, um, dirty drawings of, like, other stuff, you know, if my Such friends, as? well, if, like, my friends would want me to, like, draw, like, um, oh, yeah. you know, they would always continue to draw, like, dirty drawings for them. And, right. Um, you know, I even then, I was sort of like censoring myself a little bit. I was like, well, I'm not going to draw any like genitalia, but I'm going to draw like everything. It's going to be like R-rated, but it's not going to be hard. tasteful. It's, like so smoking in, in case someday I get like famous or something, you yeah. can come back and put these on a, if there's an internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah you could press the link. I always had a little bit of like a, you know, like sense to not let go too, too far. Well, it's right. I mean, because you, you had to act back because your parents I'll call them porn purveyors, <laughs> smut peddlers. Right. And you knew I'm not going to go straight into that. You know, it's something I can offer on the side for a dollar in the lunchroom or whatever, like draw, draw your thing. But you don't want to go too hard. You know, when, you know when my parents had to get rid of their porn, this has nothing to do with anything, but it's a good yeah. story. Did they burn it? No, they didn't burn it. Um, you may remember back in the 80s, um, you know Tracy Lords, who's in John yes. Waters. Oh, this is related because she was in John Waters' movies. Fantastic. It all goes together. Well done. So, John, so Tracy Lords. Um, was in the porn industry before that as a minor. She was lied about her age and she was um, 15 years old when she said she was 18 years old. So she was making like full on porn movies. So my parents had some of those porn movies in their store, not knowing. So the FBI came into my parents' store and said, you know, we're going around to video stores because we were making sure that none of this, this, this is considered child pornography. So they um, actually looked at what they had and they confiscated them. And they, they did not oh, the, the whole collection, or just just, uh, just the Trace Lower okay. stuff. And they and they basically said, you know, we, we they weren't arresting them or anything, but they were, you know, because was, people were unaware of it. Yeah. So when they did that, and just the fact that the FBI was in my parents' store, <laughs> they just ended the entire like porn section of my parents. So my parents just like my mother just said, clear it out. We're not doing anything more. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not so worth did it. Did they go into the dumpster? Did she just her the proto Craigslist it? You know, I don't know where those went. They had, probably had friends that took the stuff. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure they. they my, parents had, my parents had friends too that would come in and rent the porn, and then my mother would like give them a hard time too. Like, oh my god, but, but make up your mind. Are you like ashamed of this or proud of this? Like, yeah, why do we have it? Okay. Porn shaming people. Um, so we. So how did we get there? So we were back at you drawing right the porn. Right. You drawing comics. Okay, and you were at apparently like a secret academy for comic artists uh, in high school, and then. So you were drawing, and then what? Was it all comics for you all the time, or what were you paying attention to as you started reaching the end of high school and awakening into the adult that you became? Well, uh, again, I was just into, really into like, I was a real nerd, you know, yeah. really big time. Um, Look around, you. <laughs> this is your home. I'm in the right, I'm in the right business. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so yeah, so I just, uh, you know, uh, really got into the comic thing. And, um, and then as I was like, in my junior senior year of high school, um, they used to have the ads in the comic books for you know go to the Joe Huber School of Cartoon Art and and become like a comic book artist. Yeah. So I kind of saw those and I was like, gee, that would be great to do that, but I don't know, it just doesn't. I don't, it's such a chance. 
Do you know what's funny? Because I remember in those Archie comics, they had a thing, or, or other comics at the time, where it's like, draw this and send it in. And it was like a turtle wearing like oh, I did that. an Andy Cat hat. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, I actually got money from that. Did you? I did. I, did. I had to draw um, a pirate. Oh, yes. yes. And I got, it was like in Chicago, and I got like $100. They sent it you $100? Yeah. Yeah. What? It's a hundred dollar check, and I remember cashing it and buying some like shirts and stuff for the JC Penny. Yeah. Um, I thought it was so cool. Yeah. And um, anyway, I meant to go even another link to this. My mother did the same thing when she was in high school, and she got money, and they offered her a scholarship to go to that like that school that's in like it, at one point it was like endorsed by Charles Schultz. Like it was like really? a real, it's a real school. Because okay, you go on and then I'll go. But she didn't do it because back in the fifties. You know, women didn't go to art school. Oh my god, that would be so hard, even though she was a bit hippie-ish. She was ahead of her time in some ways, but again, um, yeah, she also, you know, got married when she was 19, 18 years old and had me at 19. So she, she wasn't that, she was progressive and then she wasn't progressive. Yeah, and she was busy with you. Uh, <laughs> so I had to do that thing, I drew that turtle with the hat, and then they called, I remember we sent it away in a, in a physical letter, if anyone remembers those, and then a few weeks later they called my house and were like, uh, like they didn't they did not offer me money at all, but they were basically like yes your child has this incredible talent And you need to send him to whatever school it was which to me sounded like a mega money grab it, it, I mean it, it may have turned into that sure but I do know that like they would um I think I was I think I got like first place which is why I got the hundred dollars They had like little like, you know contests and then they would send a, um, if you wanted to go to the school, they would send like a representative out or you have to go meet somebody. I'm not sure how that went, but I never, I never took it that far. Yeah. It sounds very secret society. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. I don't know what happened, but. Okay. But then you ended up <laughs> not at that esteemed academy or whatever. No. But it never no. So then, so then I was, um, thought about going to the Joe Hubert school, but then thought it was like such a, such a far-fetched idea. So then I ended up going to um, just to uh, college to be an English teacher. That's like, that's what I'm going to do because, you know, I just need to be like, um, you know, practical. Yeah. So then I did that and I was miserable, really yeah. miserable. Oh, shit. And then my so you like did, you studied it and you started doing it? Or you were just yeah. in the program. Yeah, I studied. I was a, I went okay. to for a year to school to English, to be an English teacher. And uh, I, I was I was doing it miserably because I, I was getting A's in art. And, right, and ignoring my like, I had, to, I had to take like trigonometry and stuff. Like, why am I taking this? Why am I out of high school and am I taking trigonometry? Why are you taking trigonometry in high school? Why? Are we... I know, I know, but like, I had to take it again. So I needed like a math credit oh. in college. It was ridiculous. So Wait, I was miserable. My two other friends went off to the Cubert School without me. Yeah. So um, they were doing. They were living the life I was supposed to be living. <laughs> And I was working um, in a supermarket and going to school yes. to be a teacher. I was miserable. Was and this in Vermont? This is in Vermont. Okay. And then I remember just uh, being being miserable. And my mom, you know, was telling me she's like, um, "You got you go to. I want you to go to the keyboard school." Okay. And she goes, "Do it now, or you're never going to do it." She's like, as one comic artist to another, who drew a pirate <laughs> yes. years ago. Yeah. She 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 wanted me to uh, fulfill that dream. So 100%. so she so. And so, um, so at the end of the day, mom always comes through. There you go. Okay. And um, so she, she pushed me to do it. So I actually um, saved up. I had to save money for another year. Oh, yeah. And then mom actually helped me. Um, she was working at the time. And this is right when they got their video store. It was right before that. 
So um, right before they got the store? Right before they got they got the store when I was like how old was I? I guess like seventeen. So they had just started having the store. Okay. My mom was working at another job, and then when the store took off, then she worked at the store. That makes more sense because I imagined you renting pink flamingos as like a seven-year-old. <laughs> no. Okay. No. no, that was in high school. That okay, was, that, that was high school. This checks out. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. That that would be that would be pretty disturbing to watch like divine eating shit at like age seven. Well, I will tell you that I accidentally rented it like my family video rental place. I toddled down the street and rent. I was like, I love cartoons. I'll rent this cartoon. It's called Fritz the Cat. Fritz the Cat. Oh yeah. Does yeah. know Fritz the Cat? Yeah. It's like cartoon cats having sex yeah. essentially. Yeah. And I watched it in its entirety and was like, I don't understand what, what <laughs> happened. And then on my second viewing, my father walked in and was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there. And and look what happened to me. So at least you had a chance. Yeah. You Made Me Queer, we'll be right back. And now, back to more You Made Me Queer. You Made Me Queer! My parents had one of the, they had the, one of the very first satellite dishes. Oh. And this was not like the ones you have on, like the dish, the little ones on your roof. Oh, it was like it, a... It was like a 10-foot <laughs> satellite dish in their backyard. Yeah. And then when they changed channels, the whole thing would turn. Yes. You hear like, oh, and it was like, and at the time, I mean, my parents weren't rich or anything, but I think they spent like $10,000 on this satellite thing because and we would get TV shows from Brazil. Yeah, and your whole neighborhood thought you were James Bond villains. Oh, you had this thing well, in your backyard. People would come over because this was before, uh, like now, you know, with satellites, there's like feeds and commercials come on and all that, but there was no like... You'd see what like news anchors were doing, like in between, in between, they were picking their nose, blowing their nose, and yelling at people. And we were getting like all these like crazy shows from like all around the world. Then as uh, satellite TV started to pick up, things were getting more blocked and censored and okay. scrambled. But it, but for a while there, it was like the free world there, and there was a lot of porn on that too. Oh. So. And in between the scenes, they were like picking their nose. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. This is this was like you know like I think I was like fifteen or sixteen, and like just like I was watching MTV was you know big at the time, of yeah, course. Yeah. And then like then all of a sudden I turned the channel, and like Deep Throat was on. Holy hell! And, and you know I was like, oh my god, like what what the hell is this? Okay, so you didn't have to like have a sexual awakening through comics. You had you the full Monty exposure. Yeah, that helped a lot. <laughs> Enough said. That helped a lot when it was like right there on your TV set. Yeah, wow. Yeah. But the folks were never, they weren't that liberal. They, they were they, watching they, they were not, like, they were not watching it with me. No, okay. no, they weren't watching it with me. But my friends were coming over a lot. It sounds like you were popular for a lot of reasons. <laughs> for, not for my own self. No, what you could provide. Because I could draw and because I could supply porn. That's yeah. right. Draw, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So then you finally, you abandoned uh, very promising careers in English teacher. You excelled <laughs> at math. And instead, the, the world is very lucky that I did not become an English teacher. <laughs> I know you're doing a lot of writing now, too. Yeah. Don't make me bring up Sharknado again, Dan. Okay. Okay. Uh, so then you went to this comic, this famed comic book school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's called, I Googled it, and they teach sequential art. Yes. Which I like instead of comics. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fancy. So I went to the Joe Hubert School, which um, for three years, and I graduated, and it was, um, again, uh, a fantastic place to go. I mean, it's just like you're in your, you're in heaven and all you're doing is drawing. You're not taking math. <laughs> you're not taking anything. You're just drawing no all the time. No electives like that on the side. No. And you're drawing to the point where it's like, you know, to the point where it's like you're drawing like eight, seven, eight hours a day. So wow. you have to get better if you're drawing that much. Yeah. And this is all pre-digital drawing. So it's just like well, pencils. It's, what happened with me was, again, I always seem to miss the boat on certain things. 
Um, I graduated in 1987. By 1990, everything had gone to like digital. Right. So I graduated, when I went to the school, I had to learn how to like, you know, make mechanicals, like cutting, cutting overlays and glue and paste. Ah. And then by three years later, everything was going, switching over to the computer. Right. So then um, I was like, had to go back to school. I was already working at Archie at the time, yeah. but I had to go back at night to learn like Photoshop and stuff to, to keep abreast of what was going on, you know, oh with, with, with digital, which was fine. Um, but you had that whole box of pencils they gave you when you graduated, and you're like, "What do I do with this?" I know, I know. Well, I still, again, I still like I'm so old school, so I still, I still draw um, by hand, uh -huh. even though a lot of my counterparts are all digital. Mm -hmm. But I do by hand, and then I, then I scan it. You know, maybe like Photoshop because I like to have the original art because I sell it. Oh, because I go to conventions yeah. like this, and I need, I can't sell digital stuff. I don't even understand how this NRT works. No, NFT, works. yeah, I was NFT, just going to say, yeah. NRT, is there you go. So, so, so I, I don't even write that works, so I, I don't write, I just will not go there. So, uh, so it's, it's the same thing with books, too. Like, I need to hold on to a comic book. I do not want to download a comic book. Right. Um, a lot of my friends, who are even my age, are like, oh, no, I don't have to have any books in the house. I'm like, that's a crime, because I want books in my house. Yeah, 100%, yeah. right? Yeah, so, you know. To each his own. And then what if when the whole grid goes down, it's <laughs> post-apocalyptic, and, and comics are gone? Yeah. I'll have a house full of stuff to read forever. We'll just have old Richie Riches. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot here today, actually, if you're a, a Richie Rich or Casper fan. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. So we have, so you went there, mm -hmm. you uh, you were drawing by hand, yeah. which is tactile and analog and kind of queer as well. Mm -hmm. And then uh, working at Archie straight out of the gate and then then how did you queer comics then? How did I do that? Well, it's weird because um, yeah, I started at Archie, like Archie came to interview me at the school. They were looking for artists. They had you draw that turtle with the hat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was uh, you know, since I was an Archie fan to begin with, yeah. I already had Archie samples basically. And so they hired me right from school. So I started actually working for Archie while I was still in school. Was that a trick because you read Archie since you were a child? Yeah, it was. And actually just to go back a little bit too, I had been rejected for Archie twice my first year and my second year, I actually went up to Archie oh my God. and I applied for work and got rejected because my work wasn't good enough yet. Huh. And I looked back at it and they made the right choice because it was terrible. Uh, by third year, I had improved enough to where they saw potential and started giving me work. And then when I graduated, um, they, um, like a month later, someone had left the production department. They were like, do you want to have a full-time job here and we'll let you do like freelance stuff at night. So I was like, um, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, no, I'm going to say no. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Wow, what a dream. So I was doing that, and then uh, that was 35 years ago. <laughs> Man, and, uh, so, so you got them to trust you first. That was right. your tactic. Right. Okay. So, um, Trojan horse right in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I just basically, I, I guess you want to say, if you want to say paid my dues, whatever. Well, um, I, so I was work, I was, was working at Archie, just working on lots of titles, um, doing stuff over the years. And then, um, I guess around like the 2000s, we're into the 2000s now. Uh, I had suggested doing like, um, I knew they weren't ready for queer characters yet. So I tried to push any envelope I could push. Mm. So I had an idea about um, Betty and, and Chuck just going to like a, a, a story where they go to a dance. Which one's Chuck? He's the, um, our first black character and only black character for like 20 years. <laughs> Perfect. But he was our, our black character. We have more now, thank God. Um, uh, just the one guy in town who's like, what the hell? <laughs> I know. Well, he had Nancy too, who was his girlfriend, who was black too, but like, uh, I had a story where, where, Nan, where Betty and Chuck are at the dance and um, my boss is like, 
vetoed it. And they were like, well, they're like, we're not really against this, but um, people in the Midwest might not like that. I'm like, well, who cares about people in the Midwest? And who do we want them buying our comics like, if, they're, if they're opposed to this? this? This is my old, the old management. Yeah, they're dead now, so I can talk about them. Okay, okay. which is why I am crowned. So, so what happened was they um, they passed away in like. Uh, I, we had Archie's family-owned company. Yeah, they passed away of acute racism. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, Get tested. <laughs> yeah. So they had, um, there's, there, Archie's a family-owned company. So there was like two owners, basically. One from one company, one from one family, one from the other one. They just coincidentally passed away within a year of each other. Wow. So then it was time for the new guard to come in who were much younger mm -hmm. and were like, you know, more with it. So John Goldwater was the new CEO of the company, and his brother had passed, but his brother was like, you know, 30 years older than he was, 35 years older than he was, so he comes in, and, and I always had an instant good rapport with John, mm -hmm. and he's like, why is Riverdale like so, looks like it's still like in the 50s, why is everybody white? And I'm like, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> um, so he's like, we really have to like, you know, diversify Riverdale. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's good. So he was like, full on board with it, like, you know, so, I mean, to the point of where, we had so many new characters. I was like, we have to. I can't work this fast. So, yeah. But it was it was refreshing because I had for, for many years tried to. We had minority characters, but they they all dated amongst themselves. It wasn't. It was not. You know, we're still talking like it's 1990s and 2000. It's not 1955. Yeah, but it's funny because I was reading a lot of Archie in the 80s and 90s, and it felt very anachronistic too. Like it just it felt like a period piece in a way, and maybe it, it just felt like that storyline wise. Yeah. But in my mind, it was all like, yeah, this is from this is another time. Right. And in some ways, it works because some people like the fantasy, like the, the old time. Mm -hmm. But but you can have old time Americana kind of thing with diversity too. I mean, you really you really can do both. It's not a it's not a huge leap. Um, <laughs> yes. So um, so what we did was we had this storyline where uh, another high school had shut down and they were gonna merge the students of Riverdale and this other high school. Oh, so you can bring a ton of new characters. So you can bring a ton of new characters in. Yeah. And then the ones that click will click and the ones that don't, don't. So like some click with the audience? We'll click with the audience. Great. Okay. So you know we got feedback on what characters people liked and, and then we you know kept them around and that worked really well. So then we were like, um, okay, so can we do a gay character? And um, my John, my, my boss was like, well, I remember exactly what he said. He goes, well, you know, Will and Grace is really popular, so why not? Like, <laughs> so the Will and Grace thing works a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. They uh, opened the door. They, they kind of did. Yeah. And um, so he, he, was, he was trying to, like, you know, he had to think about it a little bit because I can't think of any reason to not do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, good. So then we had to come up with the storyline. So that's when, we, that's when we decided quickly not to, like, out. Jughead or an existing character. I had had characters in my head who were gay, like oh, were, of the existing canon. Well, characters I created along the way. Okay, that, like Veronica has a, a cousin. I used her a lot in the Veronica book, mm -hmm. and um, she was Marcy. Marcy, um, and, and she was um, great lesbian name. <laughs> I think I was thinking of Marcy from Peanuts, but yeah. um, but anyway, <laughs> also that you're right, so not far from them. Yeah. Uh, so, so Marcy, um, in my head, was always gay. So she would always, if we do like a story, like where we want an existing character to come out, that's we'll do Marcy because I, I know she's already gay. Yeah. So, and then there's like a few other characters too. But, but Kevin, um, we decided to start from scratch with mm -hmm. a new character. And he came from the new, the other high school. No, no, he came from totally from another. We just created a whole new storyline around just Kevin. Drop him in. Well, <laughs> kind of what we happened was the, the so the story was. So the, 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 the trick was to bring in Kevin 
my thing was, I don't want this to be, because other characters, other, like Marvel, well, Marvel and DC and other companies had brought in gay characters and really just abused them. Mm. Or they dropped them in and then you never saw them again. Okay. It, was, it seemed like a good, like a, um, a pitch, just like a quick media blitz, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want this to be like some after-school special where this, you know, we have a special gay storyline, and it, we, we drop it. Yeah. Or, or suddenly Kevin's not gay anymore. Like we just don't talk about his sexuality. Right. So I had these, like, I had to like have these like conditions met. Yeah. Um, and so you had a lot of bargaining power at this point because you've been there so long. I, I had um, as, mu- as, as much as a freelancer can. Okay. I mean, they can still, you know get reviewed in two minutes, but but I mean, I have a good relationship with them, so I didn't know what I was doing. I'm trying to think what we did. So we come up with a few storylines. I said, I want this to be like a traditional Archie story with a gay character, but I don't want it to be different from our other stories. Yeah. I don't want it to feel that different because we want it. So in the storyline, basically, um, Kevin comes to town and Veronica has the hots for Kevin. And everyone else figures out that Kevin's gay except for her. Mm. She just likes the hot guy and wants him. And so, so he, he comes out to Jughead. So they don't get it, I'm interested in Veronica. And so Kevin's like, or Jughead's like, well, don't tell that to Veronica. Jughead wants to like play it up. He wants okay. Veronica to make a fool of herself trying to get Kevin, and um, which she's never gonna be able to obtain. Yeah. He's kind of like a Three's Company episode too. Like, you know, she does not assume, she's not sure he's, you know, she doesn't know he's gay, and she's making a play for him. So those, that's always a good formula for Archie, that Three's Company um, mm-hmm. plot line. Uh, the misunderstanding plotline, and then um, and then of course he, he does come out at the end, and then they kind of get pissed at Jughead. They're like, "Hey, you were playing us," and, and then Kevin and Veronica go come up, become really good friends. Jughead is just always in the background, just like poking the bear. Well, and Veronica have have a, a famous um, angst against each other, uh-huh. and, and that's one of my. Well, that was another reason why I did went that angle too, because my best stories I wrote through the years were always stories where Jughead and Veronica were fighting against each other because they just were perfect enemies. Yeah. Um, because Jughead was about everything, hated everything about Veronica, and she just was repulsed by him. There was like just they were just so different, and they had Archie in common. That was the only unfortunate thing. Right. Okay. Um, making Jughead and, and Veronica a part of the Kevin story was was you know really worked worked for me. So so we did that storyline, and um, and then you're, then you have to see what happens. And we, we knew the media we knew the media would pick it up. But yeah, was there a lot of like Archie is now like pull it from our library sort of response? Oh, well, yes. But not, not as much on the initial thing as with um, when, a few years later, when, when uh, Kevin's character was popular in, in Life with Archie, which is the characters as adults, mm-hmm. we had Kevin get married. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the, the, when the crap hit the fan with like all the social, the, the religious groups and stuff. Right. But when we introduced Kevin and people knew there was going to be a gay character, some of the conservative fans were sort of like, well, let's wait and see. And almost all of them fell in line with liking Kevin. They, right. They liked, it was still just Archie stuff. They were still, still talking about hamburgers and rollers. And, and there was no like orgies or sex sex things going on in pops. Like you know, um, it depended what, what, what it depended on what like you know what website you read because there were some conservative websites who said this was like the end of Archie. Hundred percent. And um, so your mom was stalking it in that back room again. <laughs> You're right, right. The market's bad. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so um, again. 99% positive. I had a few, like, I think I still had a landline at the time, so I got a few bad, you know, messages on my landline. Oh, did landline. you get, like, people found your home number? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that 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 wasn't cool. Um, yeah. You know, I had, uh, you know, a couple, <laughs> I'm not, why am I laughing at this, but someone had this, left a message on the Archie, you know, voicemail that um, they, you know, hope I died of AIDS. Oh, my so, God. So, but... 
that was about there was well, not that much of that. Yeah. So, so I you just kept doing what you were doing. I had to keep going forward and um and became an enormously popular character. Well, that was the first Archie comic that ever sold out. Amazing. So they had to do a second printing. So that's always a good a good sign. Yeah, a good vote. So then um, we we did we did Kevin in his own series, mm-hmm. which was really well. And you know we um, got a lot of good reviews from Archie fans. That was really the thing I was uh, found important was. You know, I, I knew, um, I'm pretty sure, I was pretty sure the gay press was going to be fine with it, but I wanted to make sure that um, Archie fans liked it too, and they overwhelmingly have. I mean, I've had a few people who have dropped off, but, you know, for the most part, um, the fans have really liked it. You know, and then we got a GLAAD award, which is very nice, mm-hmm. that was a good thing to get. And um, then we did Kevin and Life with Archie, Yeah. and for some reason that was like when this shit hit the fan. Like, that was like when... Um, Getting him married was too. Well, first of all, people didn't even understand. People thought they're, they're marrying off a teenage character. We're like, no, no, no. He's like 23, 24 years old. He's an adult. Right. Um, then they were like, oh well, he's, he should be marrying another guy. What the hell? This is when it, when marriage became legal in the states. Gay yeah. marriage. Yeah. So it, you know, um, but this group, one million moms, who are you know, where there's like 17. Big of them. listeners of the show. Yeah, right. Hey, one million moms. <laughs> Thanks for tuning well, in. The one thing you want is I've learned this is. You want them to come out against you because it's like a PR. It's like a PR blitz. Yeah. Because that issue of Kevin actually hadn't sold out. It was doing fairly well. Yeah. But um, when when William's moms came out, it like sold out immediately. Fantastic. So I I kept thinking of ways to try to piss them off, but yeah. they're on to me now. You know the like as seen on TV thing. You have the sticker that's like as spoken about by one million moms. I, that's a great idea. I wish I should get some of those made up. And you can put them on my Kevin book still. Hundred percent. All any voice you have here, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. So then, is you did that, and I, it's interesting. Too, because Riverdale has such a legacy, like the comics started coming out in the 40s. Yeah. So it's almost like it was, and, and Archie has snuck in some sort of quote unquote political ideals, but it always has to fit within the context of this dreamy little community. Right. And like the one thing with Kevin, I got a little bit of um, criticism for it, but I, I, I've explained it well enough, I think. Was they were like, well, why, you know, when he had Kevin his own series, we were able to go back and show when he came out to his parents and stuff. Okay. And, we, and we gave him a pretty rosy experience. Uh, and, and, and his coming out of Riverdale was the same thing. He was like, I'm gay. And oh, cool. Like, so people were like, well, well, you know, people were like, <laughs> people were like, well, why, um, you know, that was in my experience. And people were like, you know, well, you know, maybe you should have, you know, done a more like realistic approach with it. But when kids come out, and I was like, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. So Riverdale is an ideal place to live. 100%. So this is how people should come out, how it should be. Yeah. So, and I want this to be the way it is. Yeah, and so much, I mean, yes, I understand we need to mirror real experience, but so much of uh, gay fiction or queer fiction in general is trauma-based and right. about how awful it is and right. lonely it is right. and people wander off and die in a hole or something. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to, like, <laughs> recently on something like Shit's Creek where you have queer characters who are just fine and the storylines are about eating donuts or whatever. So that's great. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of where we were going. And there are storylines where, you know, we do have some stories where Kevin has bullies in school, things like that, but they weren't the main the main crux of him like coming out. The, the thing is, he's He's a very you know, well-adjusted gay teenager, and um, you know must like, have been nice, <laughs> yeah, right? right. Yeah. How's that? Um, but uh, but he he is like the you know basically uh, some people have said he's like you know, the gay Archie, which is fine if they want to call him that too. Sure. Um, yeah. So then you know then Riverdale came along, and then all the stuff that the sex did Kevin didn't have at the comic books. That's right. Riverdale. Riverdale. <laughs> all into the show, and uh, and and that's a whole separate story. Yes. So let's quickly uh, leap back through your your life, Dan, mm-hmm. to recap everything that you've claimed over the past 
52 minutes. <laughs> we had John Waters. Yep. Boy, where there's so much. We I I want to slightly say like half Catholics. The the Catholic thing definitely played some kind of weird role. There was a bit of like a flavor <laughs> there. Okay, so we had that. Then we had early comics. You specifically said, uh, who's the Devil Boy? Hot stuff. Oh, okay. Is that his name? Is that Harvey Comics? Yeah. His yeah. name's Hot Stuff. Hot Stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird. He's like a little kid, but you know, that's his name. It's fine. He's famous. Uh, so we had that, and then you went. Uh, you were drawing smutty comics for all your friends, gently smutty. Yeah, mildly smutty. Yeah, mildly, yeah. like NC seventeen. Yeah. Uh, and then you were letting them watch porn in your house, which you attaching to that, I think, makes you queer and spreads queerness elsewhere. Then you went to school yeah. after drawing that turtle with the hat. Uh, and then you went on to turn Archie Comics into uh, mind warping, devil worshiping, uh, gay porn factory. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Nothing else to add? Uh, that's how I that's how I plan on ending it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 go for it. So before I let you go, and I don't want to, would you like to play a game? Um, I, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, there's there's one answer I would have accepted there, and you said it. So this game is called Queer Queerer Queerist. <laughs> Queerer Queerist! <laughs> that was incredibly loud. So here's how this game works, Dan. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to give you three things. Yeah. Your job is to put them in order from least queer to most queer and okay. tell me why. Okay. Any questions? Yep. No, I can do it. Fantastic. Thing number one, spotlight distress signals. Like the bat signal. Yeah. Some kind of thing like that. Mm-hmm. Thing number two, animal sidekicks. Mm. Protagonist with an animal sidekick. Thing number three, R2-D2's little bloops. <laughs> little bleeps and bloops. So, spotlight distress signals, animal sidekicks, R2-D2's little bloops, least queer to most queer and why. Oh wow, this is harder than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> you got this. I think it was like three TV shows, like, and I was gonna say which ones. Um, uh, let's see, um, uh, R2-D2 is the queerest. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, so that I can get out of the way. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess so. It's not the narrative arc I would choose, but you can start with that. Yeah. So we're going oh, most oh, 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 well, I mean, build the story. How you're the professional. Well, the, the bleep or the bleeping is is very clear. You're right. Okay, so, so we're coming I, out strong, right? And he, and he can't communicate what he's really trying to say with the bleeps, but I think there's a lot there. So. I, I feel seen <laughs> right now. Okay. Okay. Um. So we've got the animal sidekicks in the spotlight distress. Yeah. Um. I say animal sidekicks is right in the middle. Okay. Why? Uh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's just. Um, it's not the most. It's not the least. It, it just, uh, I don't. I. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems sort of like it can go either way. Like it could be really. You could have a really. You know, it could be a really queer situation. Or it depends it on the animal. Depends on the animal. Yes. Yeah. It could, be, I mean, it could be a little French poodle, which would be very queer. Or yeah. It could be a uh, gorilla, which would be not. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Uh, okay. I'm not doing well at this. We'll game. come back to that. Yeah. I'm, uh, okay. And so that means the least queer is spotlight distress signals. Right. Right. What's up with that? Um, I don't know. It doesn't seem that weird to me. It's a bit extra. Well, are you talking like the bat signal? For example, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends what's, what the signal is. If it's the bat symbol, it's fine. If it's like a penis symbol, it's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking bat signal, so. Everyone's, one million moms are like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, great. So let me just check on my IBM ThinkPad laptop. 
uh, rate your, your marks. 100% uh, congratulations. Wow. You are in fact, Dan Perrin, a queer person. <laughs> Great. So before I let you go, anything you want to plug? Um, just, um, the last thing I was, the big project I've been working on is I did a Kevin Keller Omnibus. Ooh. Which I kickstarted. And it's at the printers right now. I was hoping to have copies with me here at Comic-Con, but I don't have them yet. I'm waiting. Uh, I've got digital copies, which I've been sending to people. But, um, yeah, it's a 700-page omnibus of all the Kevin Keller stuff that I've worked on for the last 10 years. And it's got a new 10-page story in there. It's like an update of Kevin. Wow. And I even did a thing where, like, with the Kickstarter people, the ones who pledged the most, I put them in the story. Amazing. So it was like a party scene. It was like, you know, Kevin, it's, it's called Kevin Keller Celebration, the omnibus, because it's a celebration. And there's a party in the book, so it's a lot of partying and celebration. So, And then uh, a lot of the people who are, you know, donated to Kickstarter are in the party scene. Any centerfold foldouts in that omnibus? <laughs> uh, not this one. Okay. <laughs> Keep your eyes up for the next one. So please go online, uh, find that omnibus, buy it, mm -hmm. uh, follow uh, Dan uh, throughout Toronto Comic Con and potentially on social media if you'd yeah. like to as well. Yeah. Uh, table P14. P14. Yeah. Great, great letter, great number. And Dan, I want to thank you because I was pretty queer when this conversation started. And talking to you has made me queerer than ever. Very good. And for the rest of you, if you're not already queer, I hope you're at least questioning by this point. Uh, thank you, enjoy Comic-Con, and remember, until next time, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. Goodbye! <laughs> Okay, you little wobbly baby dears, that is our show. As always, you can email me at youmademequeer at gmail.com. I want to know everything about you. Who are you? What made you queer? Why are you not a queer person and living a, a soulless, empty life? Want I'm just kidding. It's I accept all of you, however you are. Just send me an email. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. I like that. I like you. And I like doing this. Q credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our engineer is Sean Ben Beaton. What a proud name. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out laughingyourbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday and from the bottom of my big, bent, Boba Fett-ish heart. Thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. <laughs>